Well, welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today I am going to talk to you about a story about a man named V.C. Squire. He was a violin maker here in Battle Creek, Michigan. But his legacy is probably better known by the Squire brand name, which was later purchased by Fender Guitars, in which they used as the name for a line of electric guitars after they acquired the company. So stick around, I'm going to go into the story and the life of V.C. Squire, who was born and raised in Battle Creek, Michigan. Victor Carroll Squire, who's better known as V.C. Squire in his time, was born in Battle Creek, Michigan on November 27, 1866. His grandfather was Stephen Raymond, who purchased land along the Kalamazoo River from Sands McCamley in the 1840s or 1850s, somewhere in that range. And he operated Battle Creek's first tannery. Victor Squire's father was Jerome Bonaparte Squire, a native of Cleveland, who came to Battle Creek when he was 16 years old because he had heard of Stephen Raymond and was anxious to acquire the shoemaking trade. The story of his arrival here was related that he walked most of the way here and barefooted at that. Now, I would suppose that would inspire anyone to want to learn how to make shoes if you'd walked that long a distance barefooted. Raymond at that time had a farm where he maintained a journeyman shoe shop and employing interested shoemakers when they came along. Jerome Squire not only learned the shoemaking trade, but he married Raymond's daughter, Olive B. Raymond, in 1864. Five years later, he bought land along what is now present-day Southwest Capitol Avenue, which had once been occupied by a brickmaker for a future place of business. He then moved with the Raymonds into a house on Kalamazoo Street in downtown, and that was where Victor was born. Kalamazoo Street today is known as Jackson Street. They later moved to the village of Harmonia for a few years to a building that had once been built by the Wilson family. Harmonia as a village no longer exists, but I did make a video on this on my YouTube channel called Searching for Harmonia. So if you want to see that, I'll put the link to that in the description if you want to learn more about the Harmonia village. In the spring of 1870, when Jerome moved his family back to Battle Creek to the property that he had purchased on Gogwak Road and now present-day Southwest Capitol Avenue, the building in present day is actually the Worry Engineering Building. This was the year of the Great Chicago Fire, and Victor, later in his life, would tell people how he stood in the streets and marveled at the extent of smoke from that fire 160 miles away that obscured the whole town of Battle Creek. Victor remembered as a child that he was personally very frightened as he expected the wildfire to sweep down upon him at any moment. At the age of four, one is not such a good judge of distances. Jerome Squire developed his new business, producing charts for shoemaking. With special tools, he engraved patterns for shoes on boxwood and punched holes to form out lines and then transferred these lines to leather. He put the kit on the market for $5 each and it proved to be a boon to shoemakers who had previously followed a sort of guessing method when cutting the leather for shoes. He called his invention the Boston Shoe Pattern, not because he was familiar with Boston or was from there, but because he hoped to be one day. He eventually moved downtown and occupied the northeast corner of what we know today as the old post office. Following this, Jerome's ambition to go west was too much for him to bear, and he went away to Maine and then eventually 
quickly to Boston, and he never came home. He left behind his wife and children. His wife finally divorced him and continued raising the children on her own. Besides Victor, he had a brother named Edmund, who in later years as an adult became the owner of an orchard in Wisconsin, where he grew apples and pears and cherries. There was also a sister, Effie, who became Effie Tilden. But Effie passed away at just 20 years of age. And then there was another younger brother who died in infancy. In 1880, his mother remarried Warren Gould, a contractor who was best known in his time as the director of the Battle Creek Symphony Orchestra. Warren converted the old shoe shop on Southwest Capitol Avenue into a carpenter shop. And after they were married, they moved into what is now known as Rose Street. Victor was 14 years old at this time, and he remembered the night after their wedding that the Nichols and Shepherd Company band arrived in the evening to serenade the newlyweds. His mother would go on to have another son named Raymond Gould. Victor entered Battle Creek High School, but he eventually quit and went to work chopping wood and doing odd jobs. And at the age of 18, he landed a job at the grocery store. The owner was in the habit of trading groceries for firewood with local farmers, and it was Victor's job to carry the wood. He worked long hours, but he found it easier to sleep at the store, and the business owner eventually set up a room for him in the back. He then began working for a shoe store, until he received a letter from his father, which was not so much a request, but an order that he join him in Boston. Jerome Squire at that time in Boston was making violins. So young Victor made the journey to Boston. Victor Squire took to violin making, which he described as like a duck to water. He stayed working with his father in Boston for five to six years and then went to Worcester, Massachusetts to work for a famous violin maker named William L. Peters. After a year with Peters, he decided to try working with his father again, but decided that he couldn't get along with him. So he joined French violin maker Treffel Gervius. In 1888, Victor fell in love with a singer, Mabel Spears, and a year later they were married. They lived in Boston, but the romance went on the rocks after about two years. Compounding the problem, business became bad in Boston from strikes tying up industries, and so the couple moved back to Battle Creek, knowing that Victor's mother would gladly welcome them to come live with her. In six months, however, Mabel became homesick for Boston and returned home. She became a singer of prominence and toured the country with the Mapleson's Grand Orchestra Company. Her favorite role was Carmen, and she was very good at it. She spent two years touring the country and at times wrote Victor about coming home, but he couldn't see that their marriage would ever work out, so they eventually became divorced. In 1890, Victor opened his own violin shop in a frame building on Lake Avenue. He began writing letters to leading violinists in many cities around the country, and eventually orders came in for repairs and spare parts. Soon he began selling bows, strings, and even violin cases. Over the years, he expanded his building and it became a prominent fixture in Battle Creek. In fact, if you look up the old 1919 Sanborn fire insurance map at the Willard Library, you'll see where his building once stood. In 1893, he married Mary Jeanette Ellsworth, whose father was a foreman of the Upton Works here in Battle Creek. 
In Victor's business, his chief aide was a man named Gus Crawford, who had become a jeweler at a young age and whose talents were easily converted into becoming a string maker. Crawford would remain in his employ for over 40 years until his death in 1933. He was also one of seven violin makers in the company at that point. Strings were wound by foot power, and it was a tedious job. So they put their foot on this paddle, and the, the strings would wind up and tighten up to tighten up the guitar strings or the violin strings. And it was a very time-consuming process. In 1895, Crawford got the idea of converting a sewing machine into a winder, which produced better strings and more rapidly. Squire himself recalled in an article once that he called on a violin dealer in Detroit and talked to him about his string business. And the dealer kind of laughed at him because they had always bought their strings from overseas. So he convinced the dealer in Detroit to let him send him some samples. And the company, after receiving the samples, tried them out and was so impressed that he began selling Squire strings from there on. Later, a New York dealer who had been buying German strings suggested that he submit some Squire strings to them, and the result was a massive order that um, VC Squire's company couldn't execute. So to the rescue was his half-brother, Raymond Gould, whom Victor had been very fond of, and even taught him to play violin at age 11. Raymond was now 16 and tired of school, so he came to work at the Squire plant to make strings. The business continued to grow and expanded until 1927 when it moved into a larger building. Raymond would become manager and treasurer of the business and remain working with Victor throughout his life long after Victor's death. They established a downtown branch in 1930 at 90 East Michigan Avenue. In 1932, they moved to 44 East Michigan Avenue, opening a storefront, which today is just a parking lot. And in 1943, the store moved again to 60 West Michigan Avenue, where Rice Shoes is today. The 60 Michigan Avenue location was previously the Charles E. Rote Music Company, established by Charles E. Rote, which Victor eventually acquired after Mr. Rote passed away from Mr. Rote's estate. A couple of other interesting things about V.C. Squire. He was a major employer of women at a time when women had a hard time getting jobs, especially in factories. And in 1919, he offered a lot of light factory work in his string manufacturing company. And uh, at one point, even up until the 1930s and 40s, a good portion of his labor force Force was women. So he was unique in his time period for factory work as he became a strong employer very early on of young women, using them as string makers in his factories. And VC Squire had become so well known in the country that his products were sold just in about every state in the U.S. And he had a lot of opportunities to move out of Battle Creek. And by 1940, he had marked his 50th anniversary in the business. And he was offered many times to relocate to larger cities, and he always declined, wanting to keep his manufacturing in his hometown. During the Second World War, Mr. Squire corresponded with friends that he'd made worldwide. Due to losses of homes uh, during the Adolf Hitler regime during World War II in Germany, his friends that were over in Germany uh, were really struggling, and Victor would send them clothing and canned goods, and he would pad the boxes with pages of religion 
religious books. And when the packages arrived in Germany, the friends would painstakingly remove and smooth out all the pages and put the books back together and use them for church services. So he was uh, covertly getting religious material sent overseas during World War II to his friends behind German lines. And uh, that's kind of an interesting forgotten story in the early years of 1940, when before the U.S. actually got into the war and they were still, you were still able to send packages over to Germany, but they were still under the Hitler regime, you know, post-1939 or so in Germany. So that's kind of an interesting story. He kept correspondence with people that were living there and they were being denied uh, religious books and Bibles and whatnot. And he found a, a covert way of getting those materials to them by using them as packing paper for goods that he sent to them. So that kind of gives you some unique insight into the character of the man. And he really cared about his friends, even at an international level. He also had a daughter named Carletta from his second marriage. And her husband was Floyd Parson. And they both became heavily involved in the Squire retail music store in later years. Now, in his music store, they didn't just sell violins. They also sold ukuleles and other types of string instruments over the years. In fact, when researching his story, I found ads for the VC Squire Company also offering restringing services for tennis rackets. So the strings that they produced had uses for other purposes as well. But the company also sold clarinets and cellos and many other types of instruments to the music store. And they also offered violin lessons and they became a major part of the community for bringing up young musicians. And that's an interesting time period in Battle Creek between the 1900s to about the 1940s, there was a lot of effort and energy put into young people to teach them to play musical instruments during that time. And it was common during those days for children to take lessons in school and play a musical instrument of some sort. At one time, Battle Creek had as many as four different music store companies in the downtown area. And that's something you don't see as often today as it was so common back then. Victor Squire always had a flair for the dramatic, performing on stage and participating in local plays within the community. His wife also performed, and they were part of the Lakeview Players. He also aligned himself with the Civic Players, and his music store served as a box office for advanced seats. His wife, as I mentioned before, was also active in theaters, and she was perhaps best well-known for her portrayal of Marma in the play Little Women. Over the years, Victor would write 20 plays, 10 of which were produced by a small theatrical group in the city. He also wrote books. One was about Florida tales, and another was about the famous Italian craftsman Antonio Stradivari. I tried to find copies of these books through used bookstores online and was quite unsuccessful in getting any original copies. Victor died in 1949 at the age of 83, still active in the music business even in the weeks prior to his passing away. His company continued to operate in the Battle Creek area until around 1975, and it had grown into an international brand name in strings. Squire strings were sold all over the world. In the 1930s, the company also sold pianos, radios, phonograph records, until it eventually divested itself of all those other products along with the violin manufacturing and focused entirely on string manufacturing in 1961. And it was the same year that... Uh, 
Raymond Gould passed away. In the final years of his life, Victor began working on a novel around his own life and experiences, and it's unknown today where that manuscript ended up, although a reprint of his book on Antonio Stradivari can be found on Amazon. Fender Electric Instruments entered the picture in the 1950s, and the VC Squire Company began supplying the Southern California company Squire Strings for the businessman Leo Fender and his new electric guitars. In 1963, the VC Squire Company had become an official original equipment manufacturer for Fender. Fender eventually acquired the VC Squire Company in early 1965, and a short time later, the Fender Company itself was purchased by CBS in May of that same year. By the mid-1970s, the Squire name was retired and the strings had taken on the Fender name. Fender, however, did revive the Squire name when it introduced a Squire line of guitars in August of 1982, which offered a popular lower-priced model of electric guitars. The Squire series of guitars can still be purchased today, and if you go on the Fender website, you'll be able to see the whole line of Squire guitars. Now, the, the guitar brand has evolved over the years, but they still use the name Squire. His father, Jerome Squire, had passed away in 1912 at the age of 78 and was well known in his time in Boston as a violin maker. However, it was V.C. Squire that made the Squire name internationally famous. Today, the name Squire is considered to be a vintage name brand with old roots in the world of music. Squire violins are often sought after by collectors, both V.C. Squire's violins as well as his father, Jerome Squire. And in the National Museum of American History, there is a V.C. Squire violin on display there that had been donated to the museum. And it was made in 1925, and it was given to his niece, Olive, and she played that violin until about 1962, and it was later donated to the museum. So the V.C. Squire legacy is a tremendous legacy for a Battle Creek business man and name brand that came to be an internationally known name. It's a story that's not well known, but it should be known. It is a music business that was a great success in a very niche part of the music industry, and it still has its impact today, even in different forms. I made a YouTube video on VC Squire, so I'll include the link to that video in the description of this podcast episode if you want to watch that. Uh, as I give a lot of pictures about his life and his family and the locations of his stores and all of that fun stuff. So I hope you enjoyed this story about this historical figure called V.C. Squire and who had quite a reputation and quite a legacy in the music industry coming out of Battle Creek, Michigan. And as always, if you enjoyed the podcast episode today, please take some time to leave a review about my podcast on whatever app that you are listening to. It certainly helps for new listeners to find out about my podcast. You can also reach out to me on my website, michaeldelaware.com. I have a contact form page on there, and you can feel free to contact me there. I always try to get back with you at least within 24 hours. If you have someone that uh, has some information about a historical story that you'd 
you'd like me to research, I'd be happy to take a look at it and see if it fits with my podcast or my YouTube video projects. And if you have someone that you think would be a great guest on my show, I'd be also interested to hearing about that as well. So until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and look at some amazing stories from Southwest Michigan's history. Thank you for listening to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. I hope you'll join me next time.